We have been talking the last uh, two weeks about the abundant life, and the abundant life is a life where every believer is blessed, blessed and highly favored. So the first week we talked about what it means to belong to the kingdom of heaven, which is God's party that He invites everyone to that has a broken heart or a mournful spirit or are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And these are invited to the party of God where they experience all of the goodness and the righteousness of God. And then last week we talked about how that you are blessed uh, to, to serve. And we use the story, the illustration of Jesus when He washed the feet of the disciples. And when He did that, when He was finished, He said to the disciples, now you understand what I've just done to you. And they kind of nodded their heads, yeah, yeah, we understand. He said, now because you have seen what I have done to you, go and wash the feet of others, and if you do, you will be blessed. If we serve like Jesus served the disciples, like Jesus served you in literally dying on the cross for your sins, if we serve like Jesus served, we will be blessed. So we're looking at God's blessings and His abundance in our lives. Uh, would you join me now uh, for just a moment of prayer? And as you bow your heads, would you extend your hands uh, in just a, a posture of receptivity as we go to the Word this morning? Father, uh, we are an expression of the kingdom of God. We are your church. We are your people. And this morning, Father, we have our arms extended to show you that we are ready to receive your Word You've promised that you know, the Spirit of God is in this room, and literally the Spirit of God is brooding or, 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 or washing over this people, Father, and because He is here and we acknowledge His presence, then we tell you, Father, we are open to you. We're open to your Spirit, our hands, our hearts, our souls, our ears. We're open to hear from your Word. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And all of God's people together said, amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, we'd like to uh, welcome back all of our ladies from last weekend. Uh, as uh, Kelly mentioned, we had a, a large group of gals who were at the uh, retreat, and which means that our church I was overburdened with testosterone, and we're glad to have the balance back, and we're glad, ladies, that you're here. It uh, brings a lot of energy, and we're very, very thankful for that. You are blessed and highly favored. Now, I bragged on you in the first service. The first service this morning was totally packed. There wasn't hardly an empty seat anywhere, and I asked them to repeat after me, I am blessed and highly favored. And they did it like this, I am blessed and highly favored. And I bragged on you and said, you guys always outperform the first service, even though there's many fewer of you. So let's outperform the first service by saying, I am blessed and highly favored. Let's say it together. I am blessed and highly favored. You nailed it. I mean, you're so much better than the first service. And I thank God for that. That's right. Nothing like, everything's a competition. That's what I believe. So a few years ago, uh, back in 2010, I polled our, our congregation and asked them to write down God's blessings. And we had a lot of responses. I think almost 200 responses people wrote out, and they gave us those responses. This is how God is blessing my life. And as I was going through those this week, uh, I picked out a few that I wanted to share with you. Uh, that probably are still very valid today, but these are blessings from Hope Covenant Church, a few of our people. The first one is this. 
God has kept me alive while I attempted to take my life four times when I was a young man. Now I have a beautiful wife, three wonderful children, and for me, Hope Covenant Church is perfect, playing on the, the sign that says no perfect people allowed. Another response was this, I am blessed because I've been cured from cancer, I have eight healthy grandkids, and I have a purpose for living. Another response, I have the blessing of, re, of serving him in BSF, Bible Study Fellowship Ministry, watching lives being changed at Hope Covenant Church, a family who loves me, and an amazing church family. That's someone else. In fact, I think I know who that person is, and they're in here now. Another blessing was this. I have the blessing of health, meaningful work, family, friends, a home, and a home church. But most of all, I am blessed for knowing Jesus. And then another one um, uh, written, again, this was back in 2010. God has blessed me by coming into my heart today. Isn't that beautiful? And then one of our teenagers wrote this. Uh, I am blessed with a loving family, with great friends, a great, a great cat, you know, you know, don't shoot the messenger, I didn't write that. Um, I can hear, see, taste, touch, and smell. The best thing, though, is that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He was born, lived, and died for me, and that's why I am blessed. Isn't that beautiful? And so you are blessed and highly favored. Uh, now, many times when we think of our blessings, we think of um, things, like we've been blessed with a new car or a new home, and these are all wonderful things. Or I've been blessed with a, a great parking place right up in the front of the mall, you know, so that you have more time to use your credit cards. I'm not sure that's how God wants to bless you. But, uh, you know, I'm blessed with all the, and those are things that are all fine and dandy. They are. But there's something much more significant that God wants to bless you with. There's something much more dynamic, some much more beautiful that God wants to say, listen, here's how you're blessed. Two weeks ago, you're blessed by being part of the kingdom of heaven. Last week, you're blessed by being able to serve others. And today, I want to tell you another blessing that'll kind of seem weird, and it's this. You are blessed with a burden. That's right. You are blessed with a burden. Some of you say, okay, well, I'd wish that God would take that blessing away. I don't want my burden anymore. But let me tell you what that means. Let me ask you a question. Is there something significant in the world or in your life that bothers you? Something that keeps you awake at night. Something that you say, you know, this just isn't right. Or this isn't fair. You're bothered. You're troubled. You spend sleepless nights, a lot of time praying about this situation or this person. If that's you, I want to tell you something right now, and it's this. You have been blessed with a burden. God has placed a burden on your heart that He put there so that you might use your gifts, talents, and abilities to further the kingdom of God. So think about that. Is there something that disturbs you, makes you uncomfortable in kind of a good way? Something that stirs inside of you? Again, if that's you, I want you to know that you are blessed. God has blessed you with a burden. He has given you a divine burden that reflects His heart, His character, and His nature. Isn't that beautiful to know that God blesses us with a burden that reflects His heart, His character, His nature? 
a few years ago, Bill Hybels wrote a book entitled Holy Discontent. And that's what that book is about. And that's what I'm talking to you about this morning. God has blessed, even if you don't feel it right now, God has blessed each and every one of us with a burden. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you remember Popeye? Okay? Okay, good. And even if you're not old like me and didn't grow up in the 1950s with Popeye cartoons, you've probably seen Popeye sometime, some way. In fact, my son-in-law, Nathan, who lives in Portland with my daughter Tammy, uh, he is showing his kids, Wesley, Caleb, and Elowen, 7, 5, and 2, I guess 7, 5, and 3, he's showing his kids old Popeye cartoons, okay? Because they're classics, right? So, Popeye. Now, what's, uh, what's his uh, good-looking babe's name? Olive oil. olive oil. Okay, yeah, she was a hottie, of course. And olive oil through and through. Um, so, uh, and then there was this bad guy. And the bad guy, he had different names over the years, but the original name of the bad guy was... Brutus. Brutus. Later it became Bluto, but Brutus was the bad guy. Now, Brutus would show up, and he would try and hit on olive oil or do something bad uh, to Popeye. And as the cartoon went on, pretty soon it would come to that point in the cartoon where Popeye had had enough. Right? Remember that? And he would say, that's all I can stands, I can't stands no more. Right? Remember that? Let's say it together. That's all I can stands, I can't stands no more. Well, my prayer for you today is that God blesses you with a Popeye-sized burden. Something you can't stand, and you can't stand anymore. Something that is wrong in this world that God wants you to partner with Him to make right. A holy Popeye moment. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So I'd like to ask you three questions, and each of these questions will be tied to one simple Bible story. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time in the stories. Some of them I will paraphrase for you, but I want you to go home and read about these stories. And at this point in the service, I want to say to you what? Read, read your Bibles, okay? It's an amazing book. So today we're going to th look at three little stories that inform these three questions. The first question is this. What is it that breaks your heart? What is it that breaks your heart? What is it when you see a certain group of people or a certain thing going on in the world that literally breaks your heart? You say, that's not right. That isn't fair. I just can't stand that. Uh, we see that. We've seen that with ISIS, right? We've seen that with these Coptic Christians who are killed in Syria. We, we see that in what's happening in Nepal. Uh, they're finding more and more bodies all the time. Over 2,000 people died in that 7.8 Richter scale earthquake that shook literally Mount Everest. And you say to yourself, man, what can I, that, that bothers me. All these people, all these people are displaced and have no homes and no food. That just bothers you. What is it that breaks your heart? In the Bible, there's this wonderful story of a man by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah uh, was one of the leaders of the Israel people. And uh, this is after they'd been in bondage for quite some time. The walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed. And so the people of Israel, the Jewish people, had no recourse. They had no way to protect themselves. And so Nehemiah observes that the walls are broken, that enemies are attacking the Israelites all the time. They're destroying them, their property, killing off people. And it's just a terrible thing. And Nehemiah feels deeply in his heart that something is so wrong. And it just breaks his heart to see his people unprotected. So listen to this prayer of Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 1, 
verses 3 and 4. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. It had been reported to Nehemiah that his people were in great trouble. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, now listen, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the Lord God of heaven. Nehemiah had a burden. His heart was broken for his people. Now, a lot of people knew that this happened. A lot of people knew that Israel was unprotected. A lot of people knew that these people in Jerusalem were being set upon and killed and, every, and imprisoned and everything else. A lot of people knew that. But there was one person, Nehemiah, who had this tremendous burden, this tremendous longing to somehow help his people. He wept and he prayed and he fasted. And if you know the rest of the story, you know what happened. God empowered him along with Ezra and others. God empowered him to rebuild the temple walls and to reestablish the nation of Israel as a great nation on the earth. But it started with one man's angst. It started with one man's tears. What is it that breaks your heart? How has God blessed you with a burden? God wants to use each and every one of us to make a difference. Look at how God used Martin Luther King Jr. Look at how God used William Wilberforce. That's one of the great stories, and you know, many of you know that story, but back in the 1820s, 30s, and 40s, um, Great Britain had as many higher percentage of slaves in Great Britain as we did in the United States, the same amount, of, the same percentage. And William Wilberforce, almost single-handedly through parliament and through prayer, actually changed the, 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 the view of slavery in Great Britain and it had it abolished a full 20 years before the United States did. One man can make that kind of thing when he has a burden that breaks his heart. What is it that breaks your heart? When I was 18 years old... Um, uh, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, Grandpa Price, um, was dying of, um, of uh, Parkinson's disease. And uh, he was a wonderful man. I loved him very much. He was a carpenter, a cabinet maker, house builder. He taught me about cars. He taught me how to build things. He was just a wonderful grandfather. But one thing about him, all of his life, he never was a follower of Christ. He'd never go to church with the rest of us. He never talked about God. He didn't want any part of that stuff. And and so when he became sick and he was in the hospital, my heart was a, had a burden, a heavy burden for my grandfather. I remember talking to my grandmother and saying, Grandma, do you think Grandpa knows Jesus, but he just doesn't talk about it? And she says, Honey, I don't think so. I, I, he just has never proclaimed Jesus. He never talks about God. And no, I don't think your grandpa knows Christ. And I just felt I couldn't sleep at night. I didn't know what to do. I was in tears. I was a freshman in college at the time. I remember my mother asking me one time, she said, what is it that's bugging you? What's bothering you? I said, it's because Grandpa's dying, and he doesn't know Christ, and I don't know what to do about it. She said, you don't? I said, no. She said, well, go to the hospital and talk to him. Now, my grandmother was wise. She had talked to her dad hundreds of times, and he reject, reject, you know, how 
you know, the parents and their kids, you know, the, you know, they just kind of ignore them. Well, they don't so much ignore the grandkids, right? And so uh, my mom said very suddenly, well, go and talk to them. So I did. I screwed up my courage. I prayed about it. I had all my verses memorized. I was going to go and witness to them, and I was going to have it all perfect planned out and everything. And when I got there, I was just a blubbering mess. I couldn't remember any verse that I had memorized. I didn't know what to say. Grandpa was going to think I was an idiot, all of these things. But the best way I knew how, I told him with tears in my eyes that I wanted to see him in heaven, that I wanted him to know Jesus. By the end of our 10-minute conversation, Grandpa Price prayed to receive Christ in the hospital three months before he died. Ever since then, I've had this tremendous burden to see one more person come to Jesus Christ. One more person saved. One more person redeemed. That's why we do Easter. That's why we do what we do at our church. We will do anything and everything to reach one more person for Jesus Christ. The, Bible's, the Bible says, and this is kind of like, like my life's verse, I am ever in labor, Galatians 4.19, I am ever in labor until Christ is formed in you. It's like I'm in the throes of, of delivering a baby. It's so painful inside of me until one more person comes to Jesus Christ. We have another man in our church, uh, Jim Blackburn, and most of you know him. Jim has a heart like mine, and we've always had this passion to reach the lost for Christ. And about six years ago, he had this idea to start a ministry in rest homes uh, to, uh, to people, and a, a prayer ministry. And so he gets permission, he goes in there, and over the years, hundreds of people have come to Christ because of his ministry, because this tremendous passion, this tremendous desire, this broken-heartedness for someone who is lost and without Jesus. What is your heart broken for? The lost? The Navajo? Human trafficking? Clean water? Racism? How, how about the neighbors in your neighborhood that don't know Christ? We recently finished a, um, an Alpha course, and one of the things that I was blessed by, uh, Claudio Reyes um, led our Alpha course. And um, we had a lot of people that went to Alpha, but many of them were there because they were invited by Claudio and Marlon, their neighbors. What do you have a burden for? Unwed mothers? The abortion pandemic? What is it that breaks your heart? Second question, what is it that makes you angry? What is it that upsets you? I'm not talking about petty annoyances. I get annoyed when teenagers turn their phones on, teenagers and other people that sit right next to me turn their phone, phones on during, you know, the movie, you know. I always say, turn that off. That's light's bright and everything like that. And, you know, it, but that's a small thing. That's not a big deal. But what is it that really makes you angry? What do you see in the world or in your world of influence that really upsets you where you're righteously angry? Now, there's another story in the Bible, and you know the story. It's in the book of Exodus, and it's about Moses. Moses was raised uh, with all kinds of favor. Uh, he was raised in Pharaoh's um, a temple. He, he had all this privilege and education, and it wasn't until he was a young man that he discovered that actually he was of Jewish birth. And when he discovered that, he had this tremendous anger and fury at the way his people, the Israelites, were being treated by the Egyptians. So that at one point, he literally went Popeye all over some guy and literally killed him. Now, let me, a little caveat here, right? You don't have any permission to kill somebody that you think is 
mistreating people. Okay, that was, in the Bible, what we call that was descriptive. That's what happened. God wasn't pleased with the way that Moses did that. That was descriptive, and it wasn't prescriptive where you have permission to go out and kill people. But here's the, here's the message. The message is Moses was angry. He was angry at the way his people were being treated, and he wanted to do something about it. And actually, God did allow him to do something about it by being the Savior of his people. What is it that upsets you? What is it you can't stand? Crooked politicians? Any politicians? Children who are abused? You know, uh, we have a ministry uh, to uh, the sex trafficked, and we do it through Streetlight Ministry. Uh, There was years ago... um, when Joyce and Dave Vogt first came to our church, Joyce met with me and at the time our associate pastor, David Hillis, and laid out this burden that she had for, um, for the sex trafficking. I'll, I'll confess, at that time, I, six or seven years ago, I knew very little about it. I thought that was something that happened in Thailand, right? Uh, you know, girls were sex trafficked. No, that's happening in Phoenix and every large city and some small cities in the United States. It is an epidemic everywhere. And she was so passionate about this. David and I used to say, oh, slow down, girl. You're going way ahead of us. But eventually, she built a team of people. We helped build Streetlight. We have an ongoing ministry to them led by Jesse Wallace. And it's just an incredible, and it came out of one person's anger for what's happening in our world around sex trafficking. What is it that makes you angry? Mother Teresa, when she was asked about her ministry to the people in the street, she said, when I see human beings discarded, I feel anger on the inside. It's hard to imagine that little 4 foot 11, 97 pound uh, nurse, you know, I mean, a nun getting angry. But she said, when I see human beings discarded, she said, I get angry. What is it that makes you righteously indignant? The third question is this, what do you care about that others don't? What is it that you care about deeply that it seems like other people don't? Now we have to remember something about this question, it's this, that you may have a heart like Joyce and Jesse and others for human trafficking. Others may say, yeah, I know it's a problem, I'll pray about it, but I just don't really, I just don't feel that that deeply and that's okay. Because God maybe puts a different burden in your life. We don't all share the same burdens. The one burden we should all share the same as Christ followers is the burden to see lost people come to Christ. So that's one thing we should all share. But everybody else, God has given you a different burden. What is it that you care about deeply that maybe others don't? Is it the environment? Is it about how to help new believers grow in their faith? Is it inner city kings, inner city kids? Is the Navajo Nation, we're taking a team to an orphanage uh, in the Navajo Nation in a few weeks. Is, is it that? Is it helping a single mom build a house in Mexico? Isn't that awesome that we have these eight people along with uh, the bridge and Grace Covenant in Tucson that are going to build a house? For That's amazing to me. Not everybody has a burden or the ability to do that, but these people do. We have a young couple in our church, uh, Matt and Bree Kuyper. Um, both of them have come from addictive backgrounds, just like I have. And they have a passion to see people that are entangled with addictions, especially drugs and alcohol, to get helped and healed through the power of Christ. And so what did they do? Uh, They saw all kinds of men going to halfway houses like that, but very few places for women that are coming out of either prison or of addictions, having some kind of a halfway house in order to help them. Do you know what they did? They moved out of their house 
and rented another place and turned that into what we call the Hope Home for women who are in transition, women who are coming off of their addictions and helping them, counseling them, leading them to Christ. It's an amazing ministry. They were in first service and I had her share a little bit about that. But she had a burden for that. Now, you may not have a burden for that. Maybe you've never been addicted. Maybe you don't really have a burden for that. But we need people that do have a burden for that. What is it that you care about deeply that maybe other people don't? Is it the San Marcos School? We have about 25 people working, uh, helping those kids who are all marginalized. All of them are from working poor and in poverty. All of them have, 100% of the kids at San Marcos School have their meals, their breakfast and lunch at school, provided by the school because they don't have it at home. Maybe that's what you have a burden for, along with another team of people from our church. What is it that God has burdened you with? What breaks your heart? What makes you angry? What do you care about that others don't? What is your burden? I would love it within the next week to every single person in our church to be able to say and pray about this and to be able to say, uh, you know what? My burden is so-and-so. This is what God has placed on my heart. So I want to do a little, uh, a quick survey. Thank you, honey. If you, any of you, have a burden it doesn't have to be big or small, anything that I've suggested, but you have a burden for something that God has placed on your heart. I'd just like you to share that real briefly. What is the burden God has placed on your heart? Just a couple of people. What's that? Here we go. Tracy. I have a burden for people who are struggling with cancer. Yeah. Um, I'm a two-time cancer survivor and going to be a hospital chaplain, so I can do that. Yeah, amen. Thank you. Yes. Erica, say that microphone. People that have Alzheimer's, my mother-in-law has Alzheimer's. Yes, Alzheimer's. Yes, Shannon. I have a burden for people who don't have access to fresh, wholesome, clean, clean food water. Yeah. and water. And water. You know what? I read a statistic that just knocked me off. We spend more money on Christmas in the United States uh, ten times more money than it would take to f give clean water to everybody in the world. We spend ten times more on Christmas than it would take to... So there's a lot of other things, and I know you all have a lot. Any, any last burdens? Jim? It's simple. To help everyone here and our whole community, the whole world, to develop a passion for God's Word. Amen. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. So all of these things... We, um, we have a burden for those. And some of you are unique and you have unique burdens, but God has placed us all together as the body of Christ. The burden that God has placed in me, and there's a lot of them, but um, the one that is the most frequently comes up in my soul is, as I mentioned from Galatians 4.19, that I am ever in labor until Christ is formed in you. I want you to see your burden as a blessing. Think of it this way. God loves you so much that he has entrusted you with a piece of his heart. God loves you so much that he has entrusted you with a piece of his heart. Now, sadly, there are wrong ways to handle this burden. Let me just tick those off for you. Uh, one wrong way to handle your burden is to just complain about it. <laughs> You know, people say, oh, yeah, I hate the government, and I hate the president, and I hate this, and I hate taxes, and, and there's complaining about everything. There's a biblical response to that, and the biblical response in the Greek language would be translated like this. 
shut up. Stop complaining. If you have something that you want to do, do it. If you have seen injustice in the world, do something about it. Get involved. Stop complaining. We had a woman in our church in Lakewood, Colorado. Uh, the, today, the, the, the big issue in the evangelical church is uh, discussion around same-sex relationships. Okay, that's, that's the conversation that's going on throughout our world. Back in the 80s, it was abortion. It's still a very relevant topic today, and I'm very passionate against abortion. But uh, there's this, uh, there was this woman in our church in the 80s. There were the people who were burning down abortion clinics, if you remember. This happened in Wichita and other places. And, uh, and the people were carrying signs and yelling and screaming and all of those kind of, you know, bullhorn guy. And none of that works. None of that works. In fact, it's counterproductive. And um, there's this woman in our church who had this burden about abortion. She didn't know what to do about it. So let me tell you what she did. Recognizing that there's a lot of young kids, teenagers, that get pregnant, and if you don't want them to have abortion, you better give them some options, right? And so here's what she did. She opened up her home to unwed pregnant teenagers to help them through the pregnancy stage, help them to go through either adoption or giving them some skills to learn how to raise a baby, all of these things. In other words, she didn't just complain about something, she did something about it. That's what God wants us to do. So some people complain, don't do that. Another thing people do is they, they ignore their burdens. Change the channel, divert, distract, detach. None of that works. Uh, when I was a young man, when I first called into the ministry, my sister's husband, Dave Moore, was my closest friend. And we shared everything in common. And he was passionate about God called him into the ministry just as God had called me. He was a youth pastor in Santa Barbara. I was one in San Diego. And we just had this passion for ministry. And, and over time, I went to seminary. And uh, Dave got busy, couldn't do that. But, but here's what happened. Over the years, I saw my, my brother-in-law, my friend, David, slowly go like this. Well, yeah, God called me to ministry. I'm passionate about it. But you know, now I'm making a really good salary. And if I keep going, maybe I'll have enough money to, you know, to have enough to take care of my kids and not have to worry about anything. Then I can really settle into being ministry. And, and then, well, you know what? I, I, at one point, I had a call to ministry, but I'm not so sure if that was God. It might have been somebody else. And, and over, you know, forget it. I'm just going to spend all the money that I've made. That's so sad to see somebody literally ignore their burden until, you know what? And it will happen if you ignore it it will go away. And then some people literally appease their burden. I feel bad. I'll do some small thing. I'll throw a $20 bill. I'll throw a check at it. Uh, but you know what? Um, these are all dead ends, and all of these ways of dealing with it make dead hearts. God has blessed you with a burden. Embrace it. In fact, go Popeye all over it. So, Pastor, how do we do this? How do we embrace our burden? Just two quick thoughts from Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was a prophet of Israel, a tremendous man, deep thinker, great faith. At one point, if you read in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, and you can read this at home, it's a wonderful passage, um, Isaiah sees this vision, and it's a really cool vision. 
Uh, it's God sitting on a throne in heaven, and there's all kinds of flying creatures all over the place. It's seraphim and cherubim and really neat things going on. And, and, and in, this, in this vision, uh, Isaiah confesses that his heart is not pure, and the heart of his people, the Israelites, is not pure. And, and so there's this confession going on, and this angels flying around, and it's really a beautiful picture. And listen to what, what Isaiah uh, says in verse 5 of chapter 6. Woe to me, he cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So Isaiah had this vision of this thing that was wrong in him, the thing that was wrong in his people, and he didn't know what to do, but he said, I've got to do something, and I just don't know what to do, and so I see the Lord, and then the response later came like this. God says, I will not only let your burden ruin you, I will let your burden move you to action. And we read this in verse 8 of chapter 6. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Now, if you're like me, a message like this um, just stirs up a lot of questions in your soul. Yeah, but I'm just one person. And yes, I have a burden, but if I ignore it long enough, it'll go away. And, and what about this? And what about all this injustice in the world? And why does God do that? And when's he going to fix it? And when's God going to make everything new like he promised in Jeremiah and Revelation when he said, I'll make all things new? You know, why, why, why? why? We have all these questions, a thousand questions, right? Well, to answer that, let me show you a video. <laughs> 